0: film runs through our veins and continuously makes us interact with it i'm your host edward frumkin and this is real print in this episode contributor jonah desno and i analyze the top films to watch at this year's south by southwest and true false film festivals then kendrick smith A studio manager for social media personality, chef, and New York Times bestselling author Joshua Wiseman, shares the differences in making videos for different platforms and how they made a filmmaking community when they were a student at the University of Missouri. Finally, in today's concluding thought, I share my personal relationship with health. Some portions are recorded on Zoom, so bear that in mind when you hear the audio and enjoy the show. Hi Jonah. Thank you for, hey Eddie. Hey. Hey, thank you for coming to today's Real Print. At today we're going to first discuss some of the hits that we will expect from South by Southwest and then dive into True False Film Festival, one of the biggest documentary film festivals at the start of the calendar year.
1: Sounds great. I love both festivals, been to both the money times. Um, So I'm excited to talk about them both. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, with South by, it's primarily a world premiere festival but they will at times bring in favorites that come from Sundance or even Telluride of last year as some of the big films that already been seen before that will come to Texas are Second Chance, Ron Barani's documentary about the Richard Davis dude that keeps shooting himself on camera. And <laughs> aftershock from Paul Issa and Time that won the Impact for Change Awards at Sundance about two fathers, Amari and Bryce, trying to show how childbirth deaths that happen at a systemic rate is not just a woman's right issue, but a human issue as it does into systemic racism towards Black midwifery and motherhood. And Descendant, one of the top award winners from Sundance, which is about Town in Mobile, Alabama, and the discovery of the Quotilla slave ship that's directed by Ordo of Ms. Margaret Brown, and executive produced by Terry Trotter and Amir Thompson of The Roots. Emergency, the one that I talk a lot about in the past that we don't have to go into as much as well as Fire of Love that we discussed, as well as the Sundance doc, Tick, Tick, Boom, about how TikTok, be- oh, sorry, TikTok Boom, so weird about how <laughs> TikTok just became, like, what, well, how we dance on it into something political where people want to ban that app, as well as Master from Mariam Adilado, starring Regina Hall about racism within uh, predominantly white institutions, And Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, that viral short with Marcel being voiced by Jenny Slate. And then there's a feature-length version that she also stars and writes with her co-director, Dean Fleischer-Camp. Those are all great films that some people have some knowledge of coming in. Are there any of those in specific that you're the most excited to watch? Besides Emergency, I'm excited to see more with Fire of Love that will be playing at True False, but just to keep it South by among those favorites that I haven't seen, maybe Second Chance or Descend. but I have access to Showtime and Netflix, so I want to wait a little bit on it. But there's also documentaries that'll play at Big Sky where I'm actually going to soon with oh. like the art of making it and Boycott, so. Like I'm just blessed to have the American Frontier play and I might have a chance to see a, those movies there before it comes to South by in the festival favorites program.
1: Absolutely, you'll have to let me know how that goes.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there any films that you're excited in the festival favorites? That I just um,
1: Second Chance really
0: stands out. Just the idea of a documentary
1: of someone getting shot many, many times is inherently compelling. Um, I remember listening to Jenny Slate on a podcast talk about Marcel, the show, um, like right when it was conceived. So seeing it come to finally get this feature length film is pretty interesting.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did hear about how they want to be protective of uh, Marcel because Marcel, for some reason, just became a viral short where a shell of all people talks about mental health and anxiety and it's something that we can all relate to and uh, Dean and Jenny were worried about if this was going to be stolen or people have different ideas that are not what they really want to take on with Marcel and I'm happy that they take time with it with a surprise announcement at Telluride and A24 acquiring it and can't wait to hopefully see Marcel.
1: Right there with you. Everyone loves a good show.
0: hmm <laughs> Yeah, and with headliners, we have Richard Linklater's Apollo 10 and a half, a kind of age story that takes place during the Apollo moon landing in 69, Texas, starring Jack Black, Zach Levy, and Glenn Powell, who have been in Everybody Wants Some. And he's been a bit of a favorite in South By because Everybody Wants Some have a world premiere there, and also Lingler's ties to Austin, which makes him like a strong world premiere site for to have this movie play there.
1: Absolutely. That's not
0: the opener, is it? Isn't it? Uh, no, 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 the opener is everything, everywhere, all at once. It has a badass trailer with Michelle Yeoh just trying <laughs> to finish her taxes, but then she goes into a multiverse and feels such an original film, not based off a comic book strip and uh, in that film there's jamie lee curtis as the auditor and her husband one universe is played by K. hui kwan who played a short round and was in the goonies so oh, really great to see him as an adult and still having not lose his martial arts skills when he was young like over 35 years ago now i am
1: very excited for that one I have liked Kwan and Schneinert um, since their early, almost absurdly experimental days on YouTube and everywhere they've put out their shorts. And then they got a little bit made of mainstream success with Swiss Army Man, where I think a lot of people jumped onto that when they weren't expecting it. So for them to be the headliner at one of the biggest film festivals with a film that a lot of people are excited for, bright future ahead of them, and truly original work in everything they do. So I'm so excited to watch this one. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just can't believe the amount of production designs and sets and even a snippet of animation at the very end of that trailer. And uh, it has all the hype. And the, and Daniels were pre, had previous music videos notably turned down for what to play at South by. So it is a great return with them. And in headlines, there is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Town directed by Tom Gornikin the stars Nicholas Cage playing Nicholas Cage in the Nicholas Cage movie. What do you think of the trailer? Have you watched it yet? I did see the trailer. Um, I think that it's definitely a great, um, self parody of himself, fully involving what people know in his career and having Pedro Pascal being a crazy, dangerous super fan and Timmy Hodge the CIA operative, and the amount of references that Ike Barinholtz and many of the other characters will give in that movie. So it's definitely more of a fun one. I don't think it's going to be more that streaming, uh, bad Nicolas Cage movies that he's done several times. I think it's right up there with Pig and having more of the self-awareness of his own self in a fictional version of himself.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. My fingers are crossed for this one. I'm a little afraid that it might be too good to be true, because on paper it just seems like a great meta mess that you love, but I was a little little hesitant after watching the trailer. Um, I'm not sure the idea is going to fully bloom in the way I think we all hope it will, but I hope I'm wrong.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hope so too. It's just that with meta movies, I I think I'm more a fan because I just know them as well, but When you have to do a meta movie, you have to start off as if you don't know anything about this person, then figured out as you weave the needle within these films, which I think that's how Scream was able to pull off with the meta humor in that movie. And at times with this is the end, you have to start off like you don't know anything. That's why I worry as well when I will come into this movie. Mm -hmm. And with the other headliners, we have Bodies, 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 like a highly anticipated ensemble film with Amanda Stenberg, Maria Bakalova of Borat 2, Rachel Zanis, Sheila Baby, Pete Davidson, and Rowan the Destroyer's lead pace about Rich 20-somethings planning a hurricane party at the family mansion, but then it goes through a different turn goes wrong very wrong <laughs> which i'm really excited to see and uh, just to see more of mary bakalova game more of the american mainstream even after surprisingly getting an oscar nominated for a mockumentary it's very rare to see mockumentaries to get an acting nod. period
1: no i'm so glad to see her in this and i'm so glad this film is getting the platform it is usually when we see someone um, from another country who gets that one kind of surprise Oscar nomination so many times we never see them ever again so I'm very glad she's sticking around because she's great in Borat too and I think she's going to be great in this this is just the perfect Southwest Southwest film and I'm sure that's going to be an electric audience to watch
0: mm-hmm. yeah and uh, we have uh, in the headlines Lost City with Sandra Bullock, Jamie Tatum, Dan Radcliffe Rowan Yang, comedians, Oscar Nunez, and Patty Harrison, where Sandra Bullock writes a lot of romantic adventure novels, and Tatum is the book's cover model. And while she goes on tour, she gets kidnapped by da- Daniel Radcliffe, and then Tatum tries to be the hero that Bullock writes in her books. Like, it's so many l- layers between the literary and the live-action one. I... Don't know if there's a trailer for that movie yet, but it sounds good on paper. But I don't know because like with South by a lot of movies have a lot, of, some type of surrealness feeling when uh, you think that you're in this one era, but then you get so much anxiety later on once you step into that realm, like in Shiva Baby. Mm-hmm. What do you? That have is add on. That? Um, it's.
1: It's one where it's the cast is so big in that where we have people like Sandra Bullock, Brad Pitt, Channing Tatum, Daniel Radcliffe, that it almost seems a little too big for South by Southwest. Um, So I'm really interested to see how that plays because it's getting that very indie feel festival for something that I think is going to have a big mainstream push. So I'm interested to see what the reaction is going to be on if people are going to have a little bit of cynicism towards it or if people are going to go along for the ride.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I do get that. Like, I feel like South by at times will be more star-studded than Sundance or Tribeca because South by had Twenty One Jump Street to have a quick premiere as well as Us before their theatrical release, and that um one of the things that I'm more surprised about is the closing night program for South by, which is season three premiere of Atlanta as it's very rare to see, uh, like, episodes outside of a pilot to play at Sundance or South By, but Atlanta does have the South By feelings of Serenus that are in some of the midnight programs that they've done in the past, and Atlanta has a mixture of genres and breaking conventions that I love seeing in its first two seasons, and I'm glad that it's got to have a uh, world premiere at an Amire film festival before its television premiere. Yeah, I think that's going to be a great hit. I think that's a great place to show it off.
1: Um, bringing a lot of new, new eyes to it if they haven't catched it. Um, so I'm excited to see how that plays as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when I think about TV premieres, the only other time that I saw at a film festival that they premiered like a, like a later season premiere was... At the BFI London's last year with Secession season three. So, and Mm -hmm. I think True Twin Peaks got to play like cons as well. So, I really love to see the blur of what's either meant to be for a television audience on the screen at home or film audience in the theater with many seats.
1: Absolutely. A lot of good discussion, too, because it's going to really set the trajectory of the rest of the season. So very interested to see how that goes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to give a quick couple shout outs before we go to uh, true false is that some films that I'm excited with that are playing the competition programs are in South by are moment race of sons of anarchy making his directorial and screenwriting debut with a lot of nothing where a married couple finds their lives firing out of control when they decide to take justice into their own hands and see retribution against their neighbor and have to do something that stars insecure Eon Knowles, Last Man on Earth, Cleopatra Coleman, Anshamir Anderson. I'm sorry for that as well as I love my dad where Patton Oswald catfishes his son in an attempt to reconnect that was inspired by a true story that also co-stars Rachel Dratch, Lil Rel Harry, and Transparent's Amy Landecker, as well as in, uh, like, the music program. Like, there's always great music or celeb bio documentaries. Like, there's Tony Hawk, Until the Wheels Fall Off. And in uh, the music program, 24 Beats Per second. I'm really excited to see the XX at doc look at me from Who Streets, Sabah Foleon, and one of the producers is Neutral Grounds, Darcy McKinnon. So I can't wait to see how it all comes to its premiere with never-before-seen footage in XXX's life as well as a Sheryl Crow documentary like South bys always, and Tribeca too, are known for just having celebrity bio docs and really hope that it's just more than just this person that we know, but see how they have to go through the tribulations to get to where they are today.
1: No, that'll be, that'll be good.
0: That'll be really good. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, I'm interested to see that X is having its world premiere in the midnight screenings. Usually, the midnight screenings at South by Southwest don't have something that already has the acclaim that X has. A twenty-four is distributing it. Um, Trailers are already playing in theaters. It's directed and written by Ty West, starring Mia Goth, Jenna Ortega, Martin Henderson, Brittany Stone. Um, It's about a group of friends um, or filmmakers who go out to film an adult film in a rural Texas um, at an elderly host um, like barn type area, and then they get caught. And it looks like a night of horror, um, kind of similar to what we're talking about, very self-aware surrealist horror. Um, looks very creepy, looks funny, looks like everything you'd want from an A24 horror film. So I'm really interested to see that it's going to play in that setting first, but it looks good.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's also Kit cutting that movie, and director T. Wes had previously in the Valley of Violence with John Travolta and Ethan Hawke to play a South by three years ago, and I really can't wait to see all, how all these films be received. And I really wish that we can talk more about South by, but we need to get to true false, where a lot more true false, if you don't know, it doesn't have movies to play in competition. They, it's more of a celebration of films, where we get to see more about the emphasis on form, where you'll have less conventional talking head docs and more verite or documentaries that will have archival footage where there is second chance and fire love that'll be here at this fest. But when they have award winners, it's like to honor the careers of the directors or the people involved in the film where they have a special show me screening of the world premiere of Let the Little Light Shine, it's produced by Steve James directed by a former dp of James City surreal Kevin Shaw which feels like an educational spin-off of City so real where it's about students and teachers at the National Teacher Academy in Chicago trying to save a school before it gets gentrified and that the other award recipients includes the true vision award to Juan Pablo González of uh, Dos Estaciones, where a tequila factory owner in Jalisco Highlands fights to save her business from encroaching foreign corporations. And uh, the True Life recipient honor that helps to uh, support the subjects that are in the films is the Territories, Indigenous, Brazilian community, the Uro Wow surveillance team. As they attempt to preserve and guard their land as farmers and settlers are trying to take that away from a population that is unfortunately already at almost 200. And it's great to see people getting honored in these type of special programs Territory got a lot of buzz at of Sundance, didn't
1: it? I feel like I remember seeing a lot of high praise for that.
0: Yeah, it won a a special craft in the world documentary program, and it's bought by Nat Geo and It's produced by Darren Aronofsky. And that, um, and I'm really excited to see the shorts program Agartha that has films by 25 new face from filmmaker magazines alums. Sky Hoping Cuz Kicking the Clouds that played at Sundance Berlin now, about discussions that he had with his, his mom about language, and Golden Jubilees from Past 25 New Face to Nail Sans Gary that along with his previous films, a letter from your far-off country that got to play at New York Film Festival, is this explores ancestry, um, colonization and language. And Nadia Halgren's death as Hallgren's just coming off with Becoming on Netflix and the show on Showtime. And really love Sierra Blue after having camera department credits in RPG, Dick Johnson is Dead, and Fahrenheit 9-11. Nice.
1: There's some good names that are going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, what, one film that caught my attention is The Balcony Movie by Powell. Lozanowski. It's a filmmaker sets up a camera on his balcony and strikes up a conversation with passers. um, to kind of have a portrait of the community. Um, Like you mentioned earlier, true false is a great way to show docs that play with the form. You're not getting your typical talking head. Um, So this one really like sparked me because I'm a big fan of the cinema verite of like John Roach. Um, Chronicles of the Summer is one of my favorite films. And this kind of seems like a minimalistic version of that of just someone has their camera up, just talking to regular people about life, their concerns, what they like, what they don't. Um, I think that's going to be very simple in the form, but I think it's going to be very compelling.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the balcony movie is making its U.S. premiere, Big Sky, which I'm actually going to see that before it comes to True Falls. Oh, other nice. Films, and also on um, other films at South uh, at True Falls, that I'm excited to see is Ridesville that I spoke earlier that had its world premiere in the next program at Sundance. As well as, I didn't see you there the won the directing U.S. Doc competition with director Reed Davenport's portrait of uh, showing the connections between disability stigmas and Americans, America's freak shows, and mm-hmm. that he's It's going to be unconventional where you will not see him in the movie. You'll see like a reflection of him as there's a still of that on the True False website. But despite Reed being the main character of the film, as the camera positions alternate between Reed holding it with his hands and being placed on a special mount on this wheelchair, and that he has a great set of vocabulary when you look at the press kit for this movie about how to talk about this movie as well as people with it, with disabilities because this should not be a film to say courageous or other terms that have uh, dehumanized people with disabilities.
1: Now that one, uh, that's like you mentioned the still on the website, as soon as you see it it's one of those things that get you gripped in. Um, that's going to be a lot of voices that you don't often hear in documentaries. So I'm very interested to see um, the reception to that as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that it did well with the Sunday and Jury, but I hope it gets a distribution deal soon. And that I'm excited to see Vedette about a cow, a cow documentary. Okay, and then- I know. Yes, yeah, I just think of Stray from Elizabeth Lowe and uh, Andrew Arnold's cow. Like the thing with Andrew Arnold's cow, I just did not like the ending. Well, for spoiler for those who I'm seen, I'm gonna spoil the ending. That the cow dies and there's no <laughs> funeral for it. There's no um time to reflect. You just cut straight to the credits after a farmer just shoots a cow. Like I was like, wait, what the hell? Like Definitely the National Humane Society of Animals did not monitor this movie, so (laughs) I just wonder how I'll deal with animal rights groups with that movie. I know, and I feel
1: like Vidette does not have a happy ending. The premise of it sounds like a DreamWorks film of a cow who once ranked top of the Alpine pastures adjusts to the aging and displacement after a new pecking order is established, um, sounds kind of whimsical, sounds like this cow's dealing with problems, but I feel like it's not going to have a happy ending.
0: hmm Yeah, I need to prepare to be sad at times with some of those <laughs> the true, false. But I do get to see some of them in a the theater as, like, I just want to disclose that if uh, chaos and cons of the Rolling Stone and Devika Garrish of Film Common if they can both be on a New York film festival program committee while being journalists and whatnot, I think I should be able to, when I was on the screen committee for True False, where as long as I don't say things outside of public knowledge, I think I should say what was like, what I should discuss about how I felt with some of these films coming into these festivals and what makes it a great people, a great film for people to come watch. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with me, Holly, I will get to see like a lot of music in that doc about how Daughters of Undocumented Immigrants navigate the industry to make a better life. And I'm a little surprised that there are only 10 films that are at least partially in English where, I think True false in the last couple of years have gone to more internationally curated and not necessarily much of what's for the ragtag audience in local Colombia. more of what people want to come over to this college town for this festival in early March. Yeah, the audiences. Um,
1: I know that's that's something that, that does speak to the festivals though. Um, I love I love the South by Southwest audience. I love the, the feeling that they get it. It's a special, it's a festival that feels special, that people want to be at, that people have fun at. Um, it's not what you would call one of your pretentious festivals, um, which I think that's a little hard anyway. Every cel- festival is a bit of a celebration. Um, and then True False has, like you said, that ragtag bunch of people that are genuinely interested in the subject matter um, in a college town and has that college atmosphere too um which is why i think both both are great festivals to go to because they really have a feeling of community when you're there it's not just like you paid a bunch of money for this ticket to watch a few films you're really going into an environment um that i think a lot of people feel a part of
0: mm-hmm. yeah thank you for maybe making me feel better when uh... I have to, like, overlap and embrace the differences between the audience that's year-round for the Rat Cinema and then one for just this weekend in March for True mm-hmm. Ross. And that, another film that I'm a little excited to see is, um, let me, oh, is Guest 2 from Nastia Corkia, which is about... A nonlinear narrative of the making of an art space at a former energy plant, and one of the segments in that film was literally taken from a short she did in the past, dramatic mile that played at True False in 2019. And that, oh, really? Yeah, like you're going like if you know the short film, it's available on Vimeo called Dramatic Mile, named after a painting from an artist I forgot who but it's a movie that's only 77 minutes long and it's a bathroom that you can go... Oh, it's a movie that you can go in now, like going to the bathroom and come back because it's very fragmented in uh, seeing things as art and visiting a museum. That's, Interesting. Yeah, and uh, I think one film that I would say that we should have our eyes on would be... Uh, well, besides second chance, but we met in virtual reality. Um, I enjoy, you can see a lot of stories about finding connections and also knowing that there's a space for friendship where the, re- the real world has, but this, from the stills alone, I do not like VR chat. I do not like the animation of the <laughs> platform because there are some characters that are two dimensional some that are in a different 2D with texture wise and some in 3D. And when they're all together as well as the background of those spaces, I just don't think it meshes well together. But it's definitely a movie that will have mixed feelings. Yeah, absolutely. Um, As virtual
1: reality and the meta world and the future does for a lot of people right now too. So Mm -hmm. we'll see how this stakes its claim on opening the doors and opening minds or if it's going to be more of uneasiness and uncomfortability for some people.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't wait to see how all these films play out. It's very great to see True Falls trying to get back in the indoor theaters where last year it was all outside for except for one night and that you couldn't go to two 90-minute programs of films just because of the curfew and the later time that it gets dark to play the movie. So it's great to see movies playing multiple days and having venues playing from morning to evening, as well as I'm always loved going to see the gimme truth about which Missourians can pull off the jury. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoy how these films get to and how they are decided to have premiere there. But we have to stop and I know we can go all day and I hope you have a good day, (laughs) Jack. I hope you have a great day, Eddie. Great talking to you. Hello, Kendrick. Thank you for coming to today's episode of Real Print.
2: Hi, Eddie. Thank you for uh, inviting me.
0: Yeah. And I really enjoy what I've been doing right now in Houston being a videographer for social media personality and chef, Joshua Weisman, And uh, before we speak about that, I want to talk about your film upbringing. It's like, what was your first film memory?
2: Oh, my first film memory. Um, I used to watch, um, I used to watch a lot of movies with my dad uh he he my dad's a big nerd um and so a lot of my like childhood was like watching like like my dad was the person I would go to for like all of my movie stuff all my video game stuff all my anime comics whatever um and so I think like a lot of my early movie memories are just my dad would get me DVDs Uh, because we didn't live together. So he would like give me like DVDs and then like I would go and like I'd watch them and then we'd like talk about them later. And so uh, quite strangely, the one that like really sticks out in my mind um, is The Lion King Um, (laughs) 2. was like I uh I might even still have like the case that like my my dad like I kept all the DVDs that my dad gave me um but I remember really like by, like there are like videos somewhere of like young me <laughs> like going crazy over just the Lion King in general I was a big fan but Lion King 2 I don't know why this one sticks out to me uh but I'm a big fan of Lion King 2 and I had like a portable DVD player um because my family and I used to go on like long, like, uh, like summer vacations. We'd like just, you know, go like cross-country drive somewhere uh, as like a big family. So I would bring this portable DVD player, and I had my like little um, flip like case of DVDs. And I remember watching Lion King two a lot. I don't know why. I like the movie. It's a good movie, but it probably yep. doesn't deserve to be watched as much as I've watched it.
0: Don't worry, I feel the same way with Sky High. Like, I would just rewatch clips of it on Disney Plus because that was my jam. Like, it didn't feel like a Disney Channel, it felt like theatrical Disney Channel original movie with Daniel Hannah yeah. Baker and even seeing <laughs> Cousin Greg from Succession. Like, oh my god, when I see Cousin Greg, he plays. Yeah. The glow in the dark,
2: the glowing dude. Yo, I didn't uh that's so fun. I love Sky High. Also, Sky High, good movie. Uh oh man, I forgot I didn't I didn't put that together. That's really dope, actually. Yeah. From sky high to succession. Dang. Yeah, good for Nick. And
0: right? also, yeah, it is. And uh, um, what about the Lion King to like a specific moment in that movie that Really makes it more of this memory that I have behold my memory.
2: Um, uh, the song. Um, when Kovu, so Kovu is the 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 male protagonist. Uh, line. He's from. He's Scar's son. Um, and there's a point where like like his mom's like going to the the pride rock or whatever. You're gonna sneak in there. You're gonna get together with them. You're gonna, you know, do some espionage and then you're gonna like essentially trick them so that like the evil lions can come and like take over whatever. Um, And Simba, who's the king now, finds out that Kovu is Scar's son or is like a part of the other pack essentially. And so there's this dope song, That is like the banishment song as they are like sending him off back to the place, like marking him that like he can't go back. Um, I don't know the name of the song. I remember the song in in its entirety. It might just be um, Deception. No, because that can't be yet. I don't know. I don't want to spend time looking up the name of the song, but that song in specific, just like, it's such a dope song. And it's like all of the animals singing together as they're like the walk of shame, like giving him the walk of shame out of Pride Rock, like they're throwing stuff at him. It's such a good, it's such a good cinematic moment of like, he really doesn't want to be a part of the bad lines, wants to be a part of like the good, pride or whatever and uh it is just whew, it's a good scene wow that's crazy
0: <laughs> a musical walk of shame scene yeah and, it's great yeah and uh, was what made you to um create videos or any form of audio visuals
2: yeah um <laughs> So uh, I've always been a storyteller, I feel. Um, I feel like storytelling is like one of the few things I'm particularly good at. Um, And it started off, I didn't start like writing until I was in late high school. I want to say my junior or senior year. I took a, uh, it was my English class, actually. We had read The Collector. Um, and great book. And for whatever reason, it really made me want to write something like it because I had not read anything like it before. It's the story of this guy who kidnaps a girl, like, like, sorry, he wins the lottery, buys a house, kidnaps a girl, <laughs> and then like, keeps her in like a secret room in the shed. And the book goes back and forth between the perspectives as like over the course of like her trying to get out, him like trying to figure out how to get her to love him. Um, and I had never read anything like that at the time. And so for whatever reason, I'm like, oh, I want to like make stuff like, like something about the way it affected me and the way it made me think about characters made me go like, I want to make stuff like this. I want to like have people think about like characters and worlds and pots and stuff. Um, and so I got into writing. And then what made me get into like film specifically, um, <laughs> god um there was a friend of mine in high school uh who was super into film still is super into film i'm pretty sure we haven't talked in like years or whatever um but uh he was super into film and and my senior year in high school um for our house cup, our, my school had, like, houses, like, if it was Hogwarts or whatever, uh, and so we had a house cup, and, like, for, we have, like, a big show every year, and for the show, um, there's, like, a stage performance, and there's, like, a video, like, like, a short film thing or whatever that comes before, um, and because he was, like, in our grade, in our house, like, the most, like, film savvy, uh, at the time, like, him and, like, uh, my other friends essentially were tasked with like kind of heading uh, the project uh, essentially, and working on that really got me into film. It like it made me take a film class like the next semester, um, and I uh, from there like I went to college still thinking like oh, I kind of like film like that. Um, the summer after I graduated high school, before <clears throat> before I went to Mizzou. Um, I wrote my short, my first script. Uh, I wrote two scripts actually that summer. I filmed one of them, it's so bad. It's so incredibly bad, but like, you know, you have to go through the bad stuff before you start doing the good stuff, right? Um, so I uh, did that and uh, I, I did that because I was still thinking about it and it wasn't until I got to Mizzou, I originally went to Mizzou to do journalism and then like Summer Welcome, I realized I don't like journalism, I don't want to do this. Uh, get me out of here, please. But I do like writing, so I went to become an English major. And I kind of like film, so I was in the film fig, but at the time, you didn't have uh, the film studies program in the way that it is now, um, or the film production program, and had the film studies program, so it was like writing and stuff about um, film, which is fine, I like doing, but wasn't what I wanted to be doing I wanted to be creating um, and then my uh like late my sophomore year digital storytelling came into existence like almost at the same time as film production did um, but I knew someone in the digital storytelling program or who had taken a digital storytelling class and it did film stuff and I like, I was like, oh, this seems interesting. And so I took the first class, I took it with Katina, uh, DST 1000 um, or DST 1800. I don't remember what the first one is. Um, but I did that. And like, that was the first time I really got to work with like a camera outside of like in an academic setting where I could be learning rather than just, you know, me and my friends at their house like over a summer over the course of like a week. Um, and it was really interesting. And it, I changed my major to DST um, and like the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, explain
0: more about the multiple, the multiple facets of film that you can do in DST because it was very new and that um, in DST do like commercial stuff and also um, documentary instead of just fiction filmmaking side that's limited to the film production stuff when I took those courses?
2: Yeah so the thing I really liked about DSC was that it was essentially like a multidisciplinary uh, kind of uh, degree where we learned like a bunch of different stuff like there's the basics of like you know how to use a camera but there's also like you could do photography if you truly wanted to. Uh, There's a lot of people, you know, Marcellus, he got really into like video art um, and doing like this kind of new media kind of production. Um, You could do audio storytelling, you could do animation. There's like so much that digital storytelling encompasses that I think is really cool because it allowed me to take a bunch of different classes. And like, now I have a lot of different skill sets that I know at least a little bit and a bunch of different stuff, uh, which uh, has been very useful just in like my professional, but also like my personal career. Like I've been able to just pick up something, oh, I kind of know how to do this because I've kind of done this before, um, which has been super interesting. Uh, I uh, think I know someone who's done essentially every because who has gone into like essentially every different part of digital storytelling like Maggie she still does animation um you know Marcellus does video art uh um quite a few people uh Kayla she's doing film stuff she's working for like a film festival
0: yeah Kayla Uh, Myers is a programmer and the Black Films Forum creator if I'm not correct for Indie Memphis and Yeah, and also for the dockyard, which is more like theatrical screenings. But yeah, that's crazy the amount of possibilities DSC can do. And also as film production was very new in Colombia when you were there, you also had to make a literal film community when you co-founded SRS with Bobby K, Braden, and Alex
2: Hossman. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, so... One of the so s r s came to be primarily because of Braden. It was Braden and um What's his name? Oh no, I forgot his name.
0: I'm sorry, Alex or Bobby. I'm not sure. no,
2: no, not it was no. It was a younger guy than us. You know him. Uh, uh, black guy, really skinny, glasses. Um, he's in film production. He was in SRS. Uh, you, I know for a fact you know who I'm talking about. Solomon. Think, yes, Sol- Solomon. Thank you. SRS is technically Solomon's idea um, that Braden executed uh, where I guess like the two of them were talking. He was like, oh, it'd be cool if there was a thing that was like that helped teach people how to make serial content um and then Braden did it he was <laughs> uh where like when it's like oh yeah maybe this is a thing that we can make happen so he went to me um connor hills and quinn quinn yeah to uh essentially be like hey I have this idea for a thing. Can you? Do you think you could pitch a show? Yes. He, uh, he also went to Jessica Reed because Jessica is, is an amazing producer, and like one hundred percent, first season of uh, SRS would not have happened without Jessica Reed. Uh, she's amazing at what she does. Um, and went to us, I was like, hey, pitch a show. And I went to Bobby, because Bobby and I were in DST. We took uh, that first, we actually took our first uh, DST class together. Uh, We didn't know each other at the time, but we both recognized each other's work in class, which is the thing we talked about later, uh, like years later, essentially, uh, where we, uh, both saw each other's working class and be like, mm, that guy's my rival. Um, <laughs> it was like, that's the other person doing good work, and I, oh, that guy right there. Um, and then we ended up working on uh, a short film together before SRS, which made us, like, become friends while we started talking. Uh, we worked on... Crossroads. Yes, this is Crossroads, uh, where he was a uh, DP and I was head editor for it, uh, and also and like videographer, um, and like through that, like so I had already know uh, knew him. We had kind of talked about working on something like in the future because like we like each other's vibe and everything. And when Braden came to me with the idea of like, hey, I want to do this thing. Do you think you could pitch me a web series? Uh, I went to Bobby and like we hashed out an idea um, that we eventually got, you know, accepted as the first uh, project for SRS once it was founded. Um, and it w- And like, so the me joining it, I would say, wasn't necessarily out of any particular like need, there was like no necessity to do it. There was no drive for me to do it other than I really wanted to like, I really liked the idea of this project. This seemed like something that could be like larger than anything I've done before. Um, It could be super interesting. But I think as we did it, like during that first year, essentially, like we, even within the first few months, I realized the potential of what SRS could bring to the Mizzou community. Um, in the way of like experiential learning, like to, to be quite, just to be like quite frank, um, like classes at Mizzou are fine, but they're like classes, if that makes sense, um, where I honestly feel like the most amount of stuff I've learned of like how to be on set, how to function on set, like how to like, you know how to frame a shot uh how to direct actors were all things that i learned on set and the classes in and of themselves didn't offer enough opportunities to do that not not in like in the long form term uh but they also didn't offer a lot of like truly collaborative projects um in a way that was like useful in any way, where like in a class group project, you know, you got three people or whatever working on a project, one of them probably doesn't do anything. Uh, One of them probably does too much. And then you like have like two days to go shoot this thing, but you don't have any direction other than like maybe kind of what your teacher is looking for from you. But like, you don't really have a guide on like, okay, if I mess up, how do I, like, how do I make it better? Right. uh if I um, if if I'm trying to use this piece of equipment and like something's not working like, in a class project, like you might have like the ability to like like email a teacher and be like, hey, how does this thing work? But there's something very different than having like a larger group of people, some of who are more knowledgeable than you in that one thing, and like some of them uh, who are learning from you, and like that collaborative, like working together, building a thing together in a space of people who are truly dedicated and doing it outside of it being like a grade for them, like people were truly passionate about doing this thing is a very different experience that like, I don't, we never got in class. There's a lot of things that we learned on set that we never, we never learned. Teachers either didn't teach it to us or the like the, there was not a like hands-on way for us to experience the thing to truly learn it. Does that make, like, if that makes sense?
0: It does make sense. Like I do agree with you how Every film class has its limits and what can teach, not necessarily like how to do X, but also more of the creative purposes. And also with like group projects, most of them are like in class. You don't really, like almost everything they turn in for grades, almost yourself sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. it depends on the curriculum at which university, but also I feel like with the SRS that I didn't get, In my own classes, it's literally more of a process run from start to finish, which really helps. But also um, with filming with a student series that goes so long with the long form wise and being college students are are the benefits and the the pros and cons of the, the situation of filming. Like a 15-minute episode series as costumes.
2: Yeah, no, but like somehow we got it done, right? Like through that, and I think that's what that first, especially that first year was a lot of, like took a lot of learning and growing, especially from us who like helped found it and were the quote-unquote leaders despite like having not that much more experienced than the other people who are with us, except for there were definitely people that came that knew nothing. Like when Zoe and Megan first joined, neither of them had done film before. I mean, Zoe had done like stuff when she was like a kid, but like not, you know, not anything recently. And there were a bunch of people who showed up to SRS knowing literally nothing about film that walked out of even their first year of SRS better than some of the people who were in the film production program, specifically just because the dedication people were putting into the project, um, the amount of learning we had to do um, to be able to teach other people stuff as well. And just like going back to what you said in class, you never really have to go through the true, like full process. Of making a product or making a piece of art, um, where there's almost very little pre production for any class project because you don't have it. You don't have the time. It's like, oh, this thing is due in two weeks. We have to film it this weekend and then like edit it together or whatever. Like, you don't get any pre production when you like, chances are you aren't location scouting. Uh, you probably only have a crew of like two or three people. So it's like, not like you need crafty. It's not like, uh, you know, it's just like, oh, I'll get a pizza for us or whatever. It's like there, there's a bunch of stuff that goes into making a project happen that you just don't do in class. But in SRS, we went through the full pre-production. Like we went location scouting. We had to get a schedule put together for a crew of like 20 people. Um, we had to get actors and stuff together, make sure we knew their schedules, make sure they knew their lines. Um Putting together a writer's room uh, and like having to like do that and like schedule that alongside production, um, like there's a bunch of stuff that happens in real life. If you wanted to get if you want to get into the industry and like actual skills and experience that will help you in real life, that you just sadly don't get in a lot of classes, um, it's specifically at Mizzou. Um, And so there was like, there was a hole that I don't think anyone had realized needed to be filled yet because there wasn't really like a thing to be like, oh, that's the thing that fills the hole. Like, it's not really a thing you realize until you start doing it and you're like, oh, wait, this is actually a lot more useful and a lot more helpful for me as like a student and like someone who wants to get into this than I had thought because I didn't realize I was missing this. Cause I'll only experience like chances I could get were class. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And uh, I even see some of that translation when you have a good crew, even if it's a little bit more in post-production with your thesis film, when I leave as what um, inspired to do this um, story about death and family.
2: Yeah. Um, I think so. The kind so the idea for um, when I leave um, it came from this idea that I that I've had about a, lar- a larger project. Um, but I essentially started off with the antagonist of when I leave um, as the character, an entity that. Um, essentially steals parts of people's bodies and like personhood to create a form for themselves so they can fight this war or whatever. Um, This really weird Eldritch thing that like is such a small thing in the movie because we're primarily focused on two other characters. Um, But I, I think what made me choose... The story that I did was, I guess as like a writer and an artist in general, um, I like analyzing and exploring um, our relationships with other people, how they become strained, uh, either through you know, miscommunication, uh, through trauma, um, uh, through a bunch of different things. and. I'm also very interested in death, primarily just because of my own, like almost uh, existential obsession with it uh, due to my fear of dying. Um, and so uh, I, I think death seeps, seeps its way into a lot of things that I work on because of it. Um, and our like relationship with death and what um, that means to be a finite creature. Um, in a world that is, as far as you know, our own perception matters, is relatively infinite, uh, um, and so I was interested in the outside perspective of what is a creature who, uh, at like its baseline, does not care about humanity and sees them as tools. Um, How it doing its thing, um, Uh, how it doing, like, going about its own stuff, doing its own plot, doing its own, like, you don't see the antagonist until, like, almost the end of the movie. And he's like, I don't really care about this. I'm just, yeah, I took his leg. I'm taking your... no, he took his voice and then uh, took her, uh, took her legs. He was like, "I don't really care about you all. I'm just doing my own thing." Um, but we have to sit and, geez, what the heck are they doing up there? Someone's throwing rocks around or something. <laughs> um, but how uh, we? What is it like from? Like an outside perspective of someone not attached to humanity going about their own stuff, how that affects what we as humans do, how we um, view our relationships and other people, um, and how we view ourselves, uh, and how that's affected by stuff that we ultimately can't control, right? Um, Julie is a person who is, like, in grief for the loss of, you know, their her, her parent, but then also her brother recently, the only family she has left, um, and then he disappears all of a sudden, not because of anything she could control, but just because, you know, some weird alien thing stole him to take his voice, right, uh, and I guess that kind of just, like, is was a way for me to explore, like, how do we experience a life that is outside of our control, where most things are outside of our control. Um, and like, that can be feel, make us feel like very weak and powerless. Like if I can't do anything about anything that happens outside of me, but it still affects me, then like, what's the point? like? a tornado could hit Houston tomorrow, right? And then I, you know, I get caught up in that tornado and die, right? Like I can't control the tornado. Um, and like, there's a lot of things like that in our lives, things that we can't control that either directly or indirectly have um, an effect on us. And like, I was just kind of exploring how we do that, how we experience grief in a world that we can't control. Mm-hmm. yeah
0: i do see yeah. a, a lot of that whether it is with down the rabbit hole or even with crossroads something that about relationships that you can't control others and it really does relate to that with like coming of age at times with, with your upcoming feature they co wrote with Marcellus, i love you elliot and what's i love you elliot about
2: um, so I Love You Elliot is about a young boy. Uh, I say young boy, he's like in his 20s. Uh, yeah. <laughs> young A young adult um, who has just come back uh, to the U.S. after uh, going out on a mission trip to Vietnam. Uh, he himself is half Vietnamese uh, and uh, a translator. Um and he comes back after having learned some troubling things about like his family history after having gone, uh, and in his like way of trying to deal with, you know the the this knowledge, um, he uh, uh, develops like a sleeping disorder uh, where like he 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 has a hard time going to sleep and he doesn't sleep for days sometimes, and because of that he starts hallucinating and. Um the movie is essentially him trying to adapt back to like life back home with this new knowledge uh of like his own history and um like their circumstances of his birth essentially and Like his almost unwillingness, or not even unwillingness, it is—it's his inability to be able to communicate these feelings to the people that he needs to talk to. Like he doesn't know how to talk to his dad about like his the mom he's never met. Um, he has a hard time talking to, uh, his dad's wife, who like he grew up as his mom, but like knowing that there was something you know different or off uh, that wasn't right about it, um, and like the her, her relation and like experiencing like her relationship with his father because due to this strained, um, you know, relationship born out of like, he has a son out of wedlock that happened like while they were married. Um, And like, there's a bunch of like different things that are intertwined and make the communication very messy and very hard to broach, Um, but it's like ultimately something he needs to do. And the movie is about him trying to go about life with, while suffering through uh, the the trauma that is like learning about himself, learning about his family, and uh, but not, you know, communicating this and like actively working through this trauma and trying to ignore it and like suppress it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very sensory and emotional film and I saw like maybe in one-to-one pre-production meeting where you talk about having animation in your film and uh, what's inspired you to have animation in addition to the live action scenes in the movie
2: yeah um so the the animations are like the hallucination part of the film uh so like everything that is in the real world live action stuff that's purely just in Uh, Elliot's mind is just is 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 animation Um, and honestly the animated part of this is actually the thing that Marcellus and I came up with first Um, it's like uh, we were sitting in uh, or we were waiting for a screenwriting class to start we were sitting uh, in the room he happened to be playing uh, Miles Davis's Bitches Brew and uh, I was like, oh, this is super cool. I've never heard this before. We were just listening. We were like, oh man, wouldn't it be cool if like, uh, I can just imagine like an animated thing of like two people being very intimate with each other and like just colors and sounds like mixed over like um, uh, like footage of like, of, of like two people being intimate and then like the hard cutting of the music uh, and like completely different tone, melancholic, like, completely in contrast of uh, the like art and color and music. And we were like, oh, that'd be super cool. That, that'd be really cool for a movie. What movie would this be for? And then we worked our way from there uh, to, to end up making the film.
0: Wow, that's an amazing journey from just this random scene to transition to a ret- coming back home story. And yeah, yeah and also, as I contributed to some of your C and Spark campaign about, what's it like to um, go to See Spark or Indiegogo or whatever to try to convince people that this is a story that has to be made?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, oh, just like talk about my yeah about, like, about
0: yeah. self independent financing.
2: Yeah. So. Um one thing about movies are they're very expensive <laughs> um, and uh trying to like get all of that done like independently can be hard and i think that's what's super cool about um crowdfunding pages like seed and spark that we use indiegogo um i would say kickstarter but they're getting into some nft stuff and i'm not really about it uh but uh, like, <laughs> but like all of these. Uh, but I think I think the, the great thing about crowdfunding is that it allows you to uh, a be able like be able to fund the stuff that you wanted, uh that you want to make uh, while building an audience for it alongside. Because of course, the people who are um you know, helping fund it want to also be consumers of the product uh, of the product or the project. otherwise, they wouldn't help you. Uh, they, they wouldn't send you money. so it's I think it's a great way for a, people to be able to fund their own stuff would be um be able to build an audience and in and in that way, it also kind of helps boost your confidence in the project. Uh, because it means people like it. People are interested in it. Uh, if people are willing to, Uh, give you money to help make the thing exist, Uh, it means on some degree it's worth existing because people want to see it, Um, which I feel like is enough for me to be like, oh, this is, you know, this thing, this thing's existence is justified um, because people want to see. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's overall just an incredibly, useful tool it's a hard tool to learn because it's the same amount of marketing and uh that like probably producing a real film is uh not that things on um, crowdfunding things aren't real movies but i'm thinking of like large studio projects um right another like established independent uh artists who can just like go to <laughs> go uh, go to a uh, um production company I, yeah go to a production company or like financer and just be like hey will you give me money to make this thing and they'll be like yeah of course uh why not you made that other cool thing i don't know why i can't think of like a single uh like so like independent thing um but yeah i think it's a i think i'm interested to see what the next evolution of crowdfunding is um, like for- nft no, not like NFT. God, I hope it's not NFT. I'm 100. God, I hope not. Oh, but something. And also, that wouldn't help fund anything. That would just be like, oh, this movie's an NFT. Get out of here. Ah, it's never mind. I'm I'm not here to be angry about NFTs. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know what the next phase of that looks like. Right? I wonder. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the next, what the evolution of that looks like in the future.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, me neither. But I do want to ask you, after you did principal photography and then a couple of years, you moved to Houston. And uh, even though Houston is not a known filmmaking city, even though there's a lot of great stuff happening in the state of Texas filmmaking wise, but Mm -hmm. what led you to, relocate to houston after being in missouri and st louis from time to time
2: um i primarily moved because marcellus was down here um uh evan was moving down to because marcellus is here for uh to do grad school Mm -hmm. university of Um, houston university of houston uh evan was uh moving down here this was 20 oh 2020 yeah, yeah, 20, no, wait, what? Sorry, hold on. When did I move here, <laughs> 2020? Yeah, have I been here a whole year? Whoa, I've been here a whole year. That's wild to me. Um, yeah, whoa, that's crazy. Um, I moved here in 2019, 2020, Jesus, I just said it. No, I didn't, I moved here 2019. I, I, I saw you, August, Columbia,
0: 2020, but maybe like August or September,
2: 2020. When was it, 2020? Because yes, okay, I moved to 2020. Jesus, I'm sorry, my brain is scattered. Uh, I moved to 2020 uh, at the height of the pandemic, uh, like well, relative, yeah, at the height of the pandemic, August of 2020, and um, I just I wanted to not be in Missouri anymore. Uh, I wanted to go somewhere new, hoping that it would, like, charge me creatively um, to be in a new place with new people. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of my job at the time, so I was also just looking for, like, a big change. And uh, Houston was it. It was the first opportunity. It was relatively affordable. And uh, I made the move. And here I am.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah and also it even helps um speak communicating with marcel's with i love you elliot in person instead of like remotely
2: oh yeah absolutely that's been way better to just like go across the hall and be like hey uh, let's talk about this thing <laughs> excuse me and uh,
0: what have led you to work with vikram films and joshua
2: weisman Ah, yes, my boss, Joshua Weissman. Um, What led me to work there? Um, So I started working for Josh May 2021, there about late May, early June. And uh, it was a series of bad jobs. (laughs) It was a series of, uh, it was two, um, it was two like film production ones for like very, Small companies. Uh, I'm not even technically sure if they're companies anymore. Um, and uh, and uh, a six month stint at at Goodwill. Um, all bad jobs. All very stressful. Um, and didn't pay me enough to 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 live. I guess we could say. And. I was at the last job, which was the a uh, last video production one. I, I of course won't say names, but it wasn't very good, and I was looking for a new job. I went on Indeed.com and I saw a thing for a studio assistant, looking for you know light studio like cleaning and stuff um video production and video editing uh with like the ability to be able to you know move up over time it was paying very well like more than anything I had been working at um in Houston I was like okay well uh this is the thing and then I didn't know it was Josh um in fact even after the interview I didn't know who Josh was um and uh they the interview went very well they liked my reel Um, thanks to SRS, um, because my stuff probably, because of SRS, my reel probably looks better than a lot of people leaving Mizzou. Um, And they asked me to come in, like, for the shoot, like, later that week, and I did, and the rest is history. It's been, uh, well, geez, like, over almost eight months now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and what do you like about seeing a great craftsman like Joshua
2: when he makes his meals? Uh, Josh is a master at what he does. He makes everything seem very easy, uh, despite the fact I still cannot cut an onion evenly, uh, let alone with the speed at which he does it. Um, It is wild uh, being on set and like watching him cook but also being on set feels very easy uh because it feels like i'm an srs and because it's primarily just like we're just a bunch of friends at this point uh hanging out who happen to be making content that um very strangely millions of people watch (laughs) and so it's it's very it's very weird it feels very surreal that um the the whole experience really
0: yeah i do love Seeing uh, it is as an easy process through how Josh brings in uh, um, Kate, his mom, Vikram, and even you at times. It feels like a family during. Yeah. And also, um, did you hope that you would not be a feature tester or do you love seeing all the food that um- he asked you
2: to <laughs> uh i love seeing all the food and i love eating all of the food that he makes so anytime he asks me to be a taster on the uh for a video i will happily do it uh but there are times where uh, because of the But better series um he makes better food than some food that i'm a fan of um, and so the auntie ann's video was real hard on me because i love auntie Anne's, but the pretzel he made was better so i can't uh I can't be too mad. I guess I got to eat a really good pretzel, but now I can't eat Auntie Anne's anymore because it just doesn't taste good. I'm
0: sorry, Auntie Anne, that so you lost a customer. But also, yeah. Make um, do- pretzels. Yeah, make do it better. Be better. <laughs> be better. <laughs> and uh, I feel like that when I see his videos, it feels more of like the of just how you feel when you're cooking instead of just uh a talk show or well, a, a Rachel Ray show, or even just more of the different ways, like there's that, I think, like the wind or the wavy thing or the bigger or smaller head, how it feels more the relationship with the process of eating and tasting, the process of making food, as well mm-hmm. as the film process where he says enter and uh, the <laughs> B roll, B roll, yeah. um, uh, how much of uh, the idea behind the process is translated in uh, like your videos whether it's in the type of
2: shot setup and editing so um everything as far as like the youtube com content goes is generally very formulaic uh so like we have like we have like entire editing bibles that are just like this is this section this is what this looks like this is the section this is what this looks like this is this this is this, uh, so in the actual editing part we know like the what a video is supposed to look like and feel like for Josh. Uh, and so when we're filming it, I mean, we have that process like entirely in mind. We're like, okay, we need to get shots for this because this is going to be for the B-roll section. We need to get this shots because we'll probably talk about this in the VL. Um, so we're going to need a shot of this. Uh, you know, we're going to need this. Like, so that like the process of like what the finished project, like product looks like is constantly in our heads. Um, but that doesn't like stop it from being like fun. I don't feel, cause it's just like, it's we are so used to it by this point where it's like, oh, this is just a natural part of our day as we're going through this, going through the motion. So it's not like a constantly like, okay, what's like, what's going on? How are we going to need this? It's like, it's just second nature by this point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, as it is fun, but also you can't have the entire cooking process where like in the hour and a half countdown that Kate did with the pasta, like how do you make sure you keep like the, the pertained parts of uh, like the process where there might be some boring stuff that you have to take out and literally show how much time was taken off in the countdown
2: yeah exactly we try to especially for like the challenge videos like we are very communicative communicative there we go um over like okay you know Um, this is the thing that's happening oh like oh we have to take this many uh minutes off uh josh knows that like as we are doing stuff he has to talk to like explain how the thing is working because that's going to be the part that we use in the uh in the video so there is a lot there's like so much that gets cut out um but we know what stuff needs to be in there so especially for the challenge videos we kind of mold it in such a way that like okay we know what we need these are the things we need to get as we're having fun and doing the stuff make sure we get these things um but again we've done it so much at this point that it's like it doesn't feel like extra work it like doesn't take away from us being on set having a good time mm-hmm. yeah
0: and uh, i do want to ask you the difference between editing for youtube instagram tiktok because instagram tiktok have a a a huge strict time limits than youtube like what is the key stuff you want to get out on tiktok and instagram instead of the formula youtube
2: yeah so the main thing about the instagram and like uh tiktok content specifically the tiktok content because that's primarily what we do but we're slowly getting into making some more stuff for instagram um but like the main difference between YouTube and TikTok is like the timing and pacing of everything over and like what kind of content we make. Like for a TikTok. We might be able to do like a full full recipe of like a big thing, but chances are probably not. So it's usually pretty easy stuff that only takes like a couple of minutes to make. Because Josh also ha- Josh films all of the Instagram uh, all of the TikToks by himself, and then he just gives the footage to us to edit. Um, but it's but all the because it's just his phone. He only needs the one thing, uh, so he can film like a bunch of those in a day. Send to uh, send it to us. We edit it, um, and like the main difference is the pacing, like. TikTok—it's got to be fast. We're trying to fill, uh, fill as much information within the allotted time frame. Like we, we really don't want to go over a minute, despite the fact that. Um, you know, you can go up to three minutes on TikTok, but a lot of that, but you like don't really want to do that because that messes with the algorithm because the algorithm doesn't really like longer videos and people don't really watch long cooking stuff. They want short, snappy, a bunch of stuff essentially thrown at them all at once. Um, And so that's the primary difference. is like getting used to like going from longer form content, like a a 10 15 minute YouTube video to oh I have to make a thing that's under a minute that still has all of the stuff, uh all of the recipe in it, but is also funny and uh carries the same like uh, visual tone as um as the YouTube videos.
0: hmm Yeah speaking of the algorithm, is there a certain time of day or uh, yeah, mainly a certain time of day that you will Upload a video on said platform to make sure it has like a consist a consistent um, viewers from past videos.
2: Yeah, uh, the YouTube is primarily the one for that, and I don't deal a lot with the actual like, uploading and stuff. Um, but I do know like episodes come out on specific days at specific times continuously uh just to have like a form of consistency th- so that people are like oh yeah i know a video comes out every wednesday and a video comes out every sunday every first of the month uh the first friday of the month is going to be a challenge show video like all of that is set in stone people understand this formula and so josh's fans are like oh yeah no oh it's Saturday, it's sunday you know, I just woke up, one of the new Josh videos dropped. Um, so that's kind of um, that. I mean, the algorithm for TikTok doesn't, pre- it kind of cares about consistency, but it's all, it's, it's a little all over the place, really. Um, but there are like specific times that like Josh prefers to post. Um, he handles the posting on TikTok, so I don't even know if he has, like, he's like, oh, I gotta do it at, like, this time on this day, so I'm not particularly sure on that, but I imagine there is some kind of secret to the formula he's figured out. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and uh, I don't think I have much to add. Like, I think we really discussed a lot about um, creating what consistent way of co- content creation and also, Finding and also making a film community when there's not much you could like do with like casting calls in Missouri, and I'm glad you left. We both leave Missouri because it has its goods and bad stuff. But, <laughs> but but before I let you go, is there a film that you want to recommend to people that that's little too unknown to most audience groups?
2: Um. I am going to recommend, um, this is actually one of my favorite movies. Uh, it is Amadeus. Um, uh, directed by- I think Milos like, Foreman. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, love Amadeus. It's one of my favorites. I was actually just talking about Amadeus with a friend the other day because we're both of, he's a, uh, uh, he's a musician. So he's like, he loves it. <laughs> Uh, and I remember I we watched it in I want to say it was like my freshman year of college we watched it um for our like film fig soup and I was like I was drawn in by just like the aesthetics of the movie uh, the music is like music's absolutely amazing um and just like the performances uh, for like Antonio Salieri is, oh, and also uh, for Amadeus himself, I think it's like Tom... Tom Hulse. Hulse, yeah.
0: H-U-L-C-U. Thank you.
2: Um, absolutely amazing. Uh, like captivating performance. Um, and so Amadeus is my, my movie recommendation.
0: I actually saw it years ago. It's one of my mom's favorite movies, and... Like I really enjoyed just Anto- Salieri's uh, breakdown why he had to murder Amadeus. And uh, yeah, it's, it's tragic, but it's wonderful to watch. And mm. uh, that I do love seeing F. Murray Abraham in Homeland and in some of Wes Anderson's movies. And, <laughs> and yeah, thank you for coming to Real Print Kendrick and uh, have fun releasing these tasty videos as it
2: makes me want to eat. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me, hey, you imagine having to edit them for days at a time, like remembering how good food was that I currently don't have.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, Bye. Bye. Today's concluding thought, my relationship with food and health. Mm Mm-hmm, food, it is delicious. It makes me a damn juggernaut. It gives everyone energy to keep people's days going and not fall asleep during their tasks. But I realize that too much of a good thing can be bad for you. I want to have that delicious experience with junk food and desserts, but it can hurt me long term. After listening to a Dion Cole joke about eating, he said to memorize it, and I'm lucky to preserve my experiences in tasting high sugary foods. The memory of these things affirms that I don't need them every day, week, or month. It's just that after watching some Joshua Wiseman videos, it makes me want to go on an eating spree. But after thinking about that idea, it can ruin my nutrition and weight loss goals as I am on a restricted four-gram sodium diet. I read every damn label for each food product before I decide to eat it. I have been pretty inconsistent with my calorie intake app, Lucid, but I haven't used it every week because I have almost the same meals. I avoid fast food as much as possible and buy groceries every two weeks. to tell myself how to be efficient in what I have and not spend money on errands every week in New York City. I have a family history of diabetes and unfortunately I became at risk for diabetes after a doctor's appointment in mid-October. I don't want to say if I have it or not as I'm not as public in disclosing some of my internal sores but I need to have some of these sessions to be vulnerable and reflect on how much progress I made in getting rid of past eating habits. Since that day I have been working out a lot more first in two to three hours each day to get through many aspects of my suburban gym including the pool. I soon realized that it creates bias soreness where I have to reduce the workload each subsequent day. I first thought that was the needed soreness to show that you did a successful workout. Unfortunately, there were blown out quads that prevented me from walking without some form of assistance for two to three days. Then, after consulting with the nutritionist, I realized that I only need to exercise two and a half hours a week. As a sixty-minute thing is for kids. They also said that three food groups make a meal, as long as you follow the respective nutrients proportions. So now I have rest days. So now I have rest days. I now focus on exercising specific areas of my body for each workout, instead of doing something for each daily since mid-october I have lost 45 pounds which I do not take for granted though I'm in the high 290s and at times a lazy ass I hope I get to 185 in the middle of next year after this progress my garden keeps praising me and not being helpful at the same time they will say you did a good job but you are starving yourself in addition They keep bringing up inappropriate food choices such as white bread and desserts that affect different nutrients and will exceed my max calorie limit for the day. I have to remind them not to interfere with my nutrition and exercise performance. They have not experienced much in how skinny people control their hunger, if you can't tell, I'm still learning, but it takes to become healthy either, even though... I am a bit of a picky eater myself. I know that traveling where you don't have a firm food itinerary won't pack my goals, but that's when lucid becomes handy. And that's today's concluding thought. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Real Print. This episode's music includes Continuum Mutation, Courtesy of Kama, and Shimmering by Rafa Orchestra, Courtesy of Epidemic Sounds. This episode is co-produced and edited by Anish Katu and Edward Frumpkin. Please check out this episode's notes and links, as well as reviews, award, and seasonal predictions and essays written by yours truly at realprint.org. That is R-E-E-L print. This is Edward Frumpkin signing off.